Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Sarah Hopkins. Sarah is a lawyer and author of four books, and today she's joining me to discuss her new novel, The Subjects. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to land, land that was never ceded. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing and literary culture, and the Great Conversations podcast is a chance to hear more of these discussions and get into the books you love. Final Draft's Great Conversations podcast, well, we're fast approaching our first birthday. Now, in that time, we've got more than 50 episodes of new books as well as bonus episodes, and I really want to know which is your favourite. The way I'd like you to tell me is by voting with your ears. Go back and give your favourite episode or episodes another listen. When our first birthday arrives, I'm going to announce which ones you loved, which ones have been like surprise hits, and uh, just generally celebrate our first year podcasting about Australian writing. Now, in Sarah Hopkins' Subjects, we open on a car transporting Daniel to an unknown destination. Daniel is a teenage drug dealer, exclusively prescription type of stuff, but he's been diverted from jail time at the last minute by a strange intervention. Dr. J runs a facility, and Daniel will soon come to call it a school and home. There, Daniel joins a group of unorthodox teenagers, alike but also different to himself, to serve out their punishments in a remote outback setting. Join me and speak with Sarah Hopkins and discover the subjects. Now, I'm joined in the studio by Sarah Hopkins. Sarah's a lawyer and an author. Her novels include This Picture of You and The Crimes of Billy Fish, which was shortlisted for the Commonwealth Writers' Prize. Now, today, Sarah's joining me to discuss her latest novel, The Subjects. Sarah, welcome. Thanks for coming in to to SER. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be here. So, as the subjects begin, we're being transported alongside Daniel to an unknown destination. Daniel's a teenage drug dealer, exclusively kind of prescription and dark web type of product, but he's been diverted from jail at, uh, at the last minute by a strange intervention. Dr. J runs a facility, and Daniel will come to call it a school. There, Daniel joins a group of unorthodox teenagers, alike but different to himself, to serve out their punishments in this remote outback setting. Um, suffice to say, you know, you know how to hook. What comes next is the subjects, and it seems right at the outset an appropriate time to talk about spoiler warnings and how far we want to or even can delve into both the internal and the external journeys of your subjects. Spoiler warnings are also a really great flag that there's something really worthy of the time in discovering. Uh, And I have to assure the listener that, Sarah, it's masterful the way you actually kind of dangle and reveal information, not just at the outset, but through throughout the novel. So in a novel that is so cerebral, and I think the full meaning of that will become apparent if you have, if you can see the cover, it's actually um, a beautiful stylized brain. Um, Is it only the external events that can be spoiled by talking about them? Where's the the journey? You know, I I think that um, there's, I mean, books are generally rich enough that you're not going to spoil them by going into the the sorts of issues that you know the, mm. the, the complexities that that, that arise throughout the the novel so um, I think you can be kind of safe and not spoiled by by starting a discussion around those things mm. I mean I'm always so conscious of spoiler you know of spoilers because there's nothing I hate more but um, I, I think you're okay to go into the 
the kind of themes that the book mm. is exploring. I just wondered, though, because the themes are so uh, intimately tied with particularly Daniel's journey. I mean, there is definitely events or an event that we won't talk about um, that is very, very important. But there are aspects of Daniel's journey, too, that I, I just sort of thought, well, do we do we tell people that and how can we talk about it without? Let's see where we go with Let's that. Let's see where we go. Because I, I, I think that's what's masterful. If you can have such a, a psychologically interesting novel that the states of mind might uh, might spoil. So we, uh, we travel alongside Daniel. And here's where we go. This is right where I'm starting. Both his younger and his older selves um, meeting a cast of, of young offenders and misfits. And they each have their own story. And... Um, I was really. Let's just start with the fact that you you establish really early on that uh, that Daniel is looking back on this time, and you complicate that because it's, it's also being told as he lives it. Why the two Daniels? Why? And I was also intrigued because I've, you've now given me two narrative arcs and two mysteries, perhaps that are going to unfold. Why two Daniels? So. I mean, it's it's to build the intrigue around the story, but it's um, in terms of the narrative. The older Daniel has a very specific purpose in telling the story. The story, um, it would be a spoiler to tell you what that purpose is, because you don't discover what the actual purpose of him telling the story is until the very end of the book. Um, the he's but there's a there's a sense that he's trying to set the record straight in some way and that just small pieces of information are revealed gradually throughout the book. So you start getting a sense of what that is. But as I said, it doesn't become clear until the very end. It's, it's, oh, it's so complicated now to, to know which Daniel's story to follow. So maybe we'll just also then look at the group, at the subjects, um, the subjects of the novel's title. They can all be viewed as useful or talented people we we sort of vacillate between how we view them as we get to know them and um, their inclusion in their school is is for a specific purpose now the subjects it's very much an exploration though of that kind of institutional intervention both the criminal justice system but i sort sort of thought also that kind of biomedical model of the way we we and you can't see air quotes or scare quotes but treat people mm. <laughs> on radio um i wondered well, first, why Daniel, out of this entirely interesting group? Um, Alex and Rachel also jumped to mind as two people with amazing stories. How did you settle on Daniel? Okay, well, just a couple of things just in that, in that question mm. of yours. Yes, it's not the focus. The starting point is the criminal justice system, mm. but what comes into it is both the education and the health system. Yeah. Um, settling on Daniel, I mean, he was just my first voice uh the the 16 year old boy i i decided fairly early on i wanted to write in the first person this is the mm. first book i've written in the first person and that was the voice that became natural to me for some reason yeah. <laughs> i don't know how to explain that i do have an adolescent son uh, that might have been part of it. it probably also you know i because of my work in the criminal justice system i came across so many you know, young boys. Um, you know, they, the, the the cohort of offenders that mm. I have represented tend to be um, the the younger ones in any event, mm. boys, not not girls. Uh, so I suppose I was more familiar with 
a young male offender. Uh, and I was also interested to really explore uh, uh, a young man who had a very strong and dangerous capacity for violence. So that wasn't Alex. Mm. Um, so yeah, so Daniel was Daniel was my starting point, and then you know moving into characters like like Rachel and Alex, they became equally important to me. Mm. Um, but but Daniel was my first person narrative. So if we then think about this sort of institutionalised realm that you take them into and that we skirt across from the legal system to that sort of biomedical model of diagnosis and treatment, all of the all of the subjects, we'll keep using we'll keep using that word, it's your title, all of the subjects also can become and in the world at large, victims of a kind of a reductive labeling process that very much we see a, a I'm gonna call it a dance. I'm not gonna say it's an escape from in the subjects, but there is a dance with it. Uh, this reductive labeling process. How did you want to engage with those ideas of of labeling and treatment and uh, incarceration or freedom? Well, I suppose ultimately the idea is how do you penetrate those labels mm. with a story, with the real story? Uh, and that's what that's what th- this book is doing in a sense, is it's looking at this group of teenagers who are all extraordinary for one reason or another, mm. um, who have been labeled and, by and large, have been labelled as, as you say, misfits and mm. failures. Uh, you know, as as people as as people with sicknesses. Um, so I, I was really interested in well, how how do you kind of cut through that and actually um, tell their their story in all its detail, mm. its terrible and beautiful mm. detail. Um, because that that in my mind is what we so often miss, that that these systems that we've set up, justice, health, education, we're missing the real stories of what's happening with these mm. young people. And it, I think the only way to, to really support them is is to find out those stories. So I, want to, I just want to keep going with this idea, mostly because it, it just pervades my notes mm. um, and I'm going to go off track if I don't stick with it. Um, ideas of knowing and not knowing and what that – can mean for us. And you intersect with that in a couple of different ways. The first one I want to ask you about is, it's a quote from from Daniel following, uh, I think it's an interaction with Alex, where he talks about sometimes we need to be seen. And every process there, it, it has its positive and its negative outcomes. Daniel discovers ways of being open as he begins to make friends. But this kind of contrasts with his protective sense that to be hidden is akin to safety. There is a a recurring motif, almost a mental block that he has around having hidden at a particular time. How do these various ways of hiding and being seen allow, I I guess there's a tension that I want to explore, people to both fall between the the cracks, mm. but then also allow themselves to be safe in that anonymity. That's such a good question. Um, you know, I my experience with young people is that they are so often uh, um, a. Um, in a minefield of secrets mm. that that's how they operate and that's how they survive so that kind of secrecy is a survival mechanism mm. for young people and and as you say it's it's how they stay safe it's how they feel safe mm. 
um, because they don't want themselves exposed and also because they carry guilt and shame around mm. who they are and what they're thinking, what they want. Uh, so I think that in part Daniel's journey and the journey of each of the characters actually is around well, what what's the value in laying yourself open just a little and then more mm. until you are really seen and there's a liberation in that mm. uh, and and ultimately I think for well certainly for Daniel and for Rachel that ability to be seen is what saves them so there's that tension yeah that something that once was so important as a survival mechanism is what they need to shed mm to to grow as human beings. So we're going to keep this in the context of the story. We're in the school, and this is very much a journey that each of the characters is going through. So when we're talking about sharing and being seen, this is this is the action of the book. And then we have this, I found a really interesting uh, counterpoint to that, uh, an idea of knowing and not knowing, and maybe a call to action, perhaps... For, for adults, perhaps for, for everyone as they go through that kind of nascent consciousness emerging of their place in the world. What do we do once we know? And I don't think it's spoiling anything because it's it's so intricate the way you develop this, but the Human Misery Project and, and Alex's work, and I, th- I feel like that name alone should just fascinate people to discover more. And Rachel challenges him on it. He, he, mm. She wants to know what is going to be done. And there is a tension between the characters as they discuss this. I feel like Daniel has this perspective that and the Human Misery Project is about all of the misery in the world and it's so confronting. Daniel says, well, until he knows everything he needs to know, he doesn't know how he can act on it. But then there is a sense that not knowing allows us to ignore it and knowing somehow challenges it, but it's always going on. Whether we know it or not, there's always something terrible going on. How do we choose to draw ourselves into it. And I was just so fascinated with why you wanted to engage with that and, and the way it counterpoints the, the emerging consciousnesses of, the, of Daniel, of Rachel, of Alex, and how they try to engage with each other. There's so much in that question. I know. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll go old look, Tony Jones. Take that as a comment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, look, I think... That Alex is making a really a a superhuman effort to confront what's happening in the world. Mm. He's so um, he's he's so vulnerable and sensitive to, as you say, human mm. misery around the world. That his his task that he set himself mm. is to understand it and to know it mm. and he thinks that by doing that he'll have some control over it mm. and he'll be able to to continue to live in this world because that's his question mm. can, can I continue to live in this world as it is with all its misery mm. with all the human suffering but he's challenged in that mm. um, by Rachel, who says, well, okay, you can know all this and and good on you. <laughs> you know, you've got this far. You know, his project is an extraordinary one and the amount of work he's done, the detail that he's brought together, 
uh, you know, is, is impressive. But her question is, what's the point in knowing until you act on it? Mm. And that floors him because he's, he's a young person that's really trying to find a mechanism to cope. If and I, she penetrates that coping mechanism in a way that's really challenging to him. If I, if I can with Rachel there, was that penetrating question also meant to leap off the page? It definitely did leap off the page. And what I found was that even though Alex was, he was engaging with post-it notes and whiteboards, um, and the, the technology is very specific in this book. And I think I'm just going to leave that alone for people to discover. But we don't have a huge sense of external connectivity. But of course, we live in a world where the Human Misery Project is actually our news feeds sometimes. Mm. Um, and it, it makes me think of another question from another uh, conversation that people can look up on the Final Draft podcast, but around the idea of um, being challenged. Well, how do you choose the thing that you are going to do? Because of course, we can't we can't fix everything as, as individuals. Mm. How do we choose to address environmental damage? How do we choose to address racism? How do we choose the thing that we choose to do when we're aware of so much going on? Yeah, and, and so, yes, the question was meant to jump off the page. Uh, I mean, Rachel as a character is meant to jump off the page. She is the activist voice mm. uh, ultimately in the book, and I don't think that's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> They're both brilliant characters, Rachel and Alex, and I think the 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 trio, the trio of them together make so much the heart of the book. Um, and I just realised how woefully inadequate my notes are on Rachel to say that she is so deep. But I, the one thing I did note, you had, and uh, there is so much fun in this book. I, I want to note that right now because the note that I wrote was. Um, there's a scene, and again, not spoiling anything, where where Daniel is being a bit of a creeper, and he has to really learn boundaries throughout uh, the subjects. And he has confronted uh, Rachel in a particular situation and she headbutts him and knocks him out. And then, of course, you begin the next chapter with Daniel uh, talking about their tete-a-tete. Yes. Which is just... I love it. I love it. Um, Google it. Google the translation if you don't know <laughs> the literal translation of tete-a-tete. Um, how important was establishing that relationship and and the relationships... In, uh, in the novel. Um, bring in Dr. J, bring in... Well, I, yeah, I think, like you say, it's the heart of the book. And, you know, every book needs to have a really strong heart. And so I, the relationship between the not just the students, but as you say, the students with, with Dr. J, you know, is the lifeblood of the narrative. And it was so important. And as you say, it was so important for me to establish mm. that sense of, um, you know, humour, fun, joy that young people create, can create if given the right circumstances. So that's certainly there, you know, and and even that sense of, um, you know, humour, sure, but also understanding and love uh, between human beings mm. when they allow themselves to connect in the way that these people do. And that, and that certainly extends to the relationship between Dr. J and, and Daniel. Yeah, the um, oh, my brain's going in two different directions here because there is there is so much to the subjects. I might I might reintroduce that I am speaking with Sarah Hopkins and we are discussing the subjects, which is an absolutely fantastic book, and we're we're exploring some of the relationships and let's let's bring in some of the adult characters uh, because they they play such an important role. But I guess we we never become as internally involved with them because. 
we need them to be at arm's distance, I guess, for them to be effective adults, even though they are probably more open than many of the teachers we've encountered. Um, who were these people? Were these were these idealised people? Were these people that perhaps you would like to meet more of in the world? Or are, are these people that you, you feel like exist out there and we need more of them? Well, for Dr. J, he was he was always the enigma mm. for me. Um, I mean, he really was my sort of mystery man. And that continued throughout the book for me as a writer. I wasn't sure of his intentions as I wrote the book, as I started the book. I wasn't sure where he was going to go, what, what his story was going to be, because ultimately his story uh, defines... What's what, what's going to unfold in the in the mm. book, and that was never certain for me as I was writing. I, you know, I don't write the end and then get to it. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I need. He's got a a backstory that's there in the book. You know, he's someone who's come from a very idealistic place um, in his early career as a as a doctor, mm. um, but he's ended up in a in a in a corporate world um, that really is this dystopian backdrop for the book. Mm. So is there is there any implied or actual criticism there? We've talked about the reductive nature of labels that may come through criminal justice system, through the medicalised system, the way a label is placed on someone, but that is one form of control. The, the corporate control, which again I'm, I'm loath to get too into, is, is there a sense that that is reductive and negative for what what is not what the subjects the subjects is trying to achieve but what people are trying to achieve in a circumstance of educating and helping yeah i mean for mine the what underpins our systems is a marketplace mm. and and there's certain ways that more money can be made mm. and um, so yes I think that that our, our systems are corrupted um, because of that profit model and labels uh, are, labels work in that marketplace and I think that it's often at the expense of the well-being of children young people patients mm. Um, the word that jumped into my mind as you were uh, speaking just then was virulence, which mm. which is meaning, which I know is going to be meaningful to you. Um, is there a sense so virulence, uh, as it's understood in the particular section of the novel I'm talking about, isn't particularly a force for for good or evil. It's it, it is a force. Mm. Um, and there is maybe a sense that some of the forces that come to bear in the novel are not forces for good. Do you have a sense that there is a, a, a directional virulence. Is is good as capable of virulence in the same way that perhaps corporations and other institutions that maybe a negative force? Well, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to point out that this kind of theme of virulence and as a force for good and a force for bad or even evil mm. um, because they both playing out in the book, and mm. so, you know, um, the virulence can be a 
a strength, you know, a, a, a way that things can grow, the way, a way that things can combine. Mm. Um, but, but of course, the, you know, the darkness in the book is another kind of virulence. Mm. And that is, and there is obviously a corporate aspect to that, which we won't go into. No, no, we're, we're now, we're now really pushing up against the edge of spoilers. Although I feel like uh, in, in talking about the, the marvellous conceptual world, uh, an intellectual world of the subjects. We've probably muddied the waters enough for actual event spoilers. Um, I might I might wrap us up there because I think this is a good point uh, to, again, just remind people, this is the subjects and it is an absolutely mind-bending, engaging novel uh, from Sarah Hopkins, who is sitting opposite me here in the 2SER studio. Sarah, thanks so much for coming in and indulging me. I, I think this is... The subjects is a book that invites these questions and not everyone is as fortunate as I am to have the author to, to probe with these questions. Thank you, and it was a very enjoyable conversation. Cheers. That's it for this great conversation with Sarah Hopkins. Sarah's new novel is The Subjects, and it's out now through text publishing. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you want to keep up on the latest in books, writing and literary culture, why not follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever, wherever you sort of socialise. Now, if you just find at Final Draft 2SER, you can also click subscribe in your podcast app and get a new great conversation every week. There's also more than 50 in the back catalogue to discover. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Until then, happy reading.